1: Hello, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, Got a lot to talk about here. It is the Euro 2020 final, even though we're in 2021. But you know what? I've done uh, since harping on that. But uh, we've got the final between England and Italy today at Wembley Stadium. I'm in a King of the Cup final for DraftKings, so uh, winner-take-all final. So I I got quite a bit of uh, stake in the game on this one. But uh, lot to talk about, but I'll dive into the UFC pay-per-view last night with Conor McGregor uh, losing in uh, shocking fashion to Dustin Poirier. Uh, and by losing, I mean uh, snapping his ankle on live TV. I, I, I mean, it, it is as gruesome as it sounds, uh, but uh, uh, Conor McGregor... Uh, at the end of the first round uh, clearly uh, was unable to continue the match uh, against uh, uh, Dustin Poirier uh, because it looked like he had rolled his ankle. Then after, uh, as after the horn had sounded and uh, folks started looking at him, uh, McGregor immediately motioned to get uh, for help. And then you realize that his ankle was completely snapped. Uh, You know, Uh, Poirier pointed out in the post-match interview that uh, he felt it snap uh, because he had checked the leg kick, and uh, when Connor had tried to attempt, uh, because Connor had attempted a number of low kicks, uh, he checked one and he felt. He said he felt it. uh, Something went wrong there because it didn't land properly. And when you watch on the replay, you do see where uh, McGregor's shin does make contact with Poirier's knee. As he checks the leg kick and uh, leading to the initial fracture and instability, which uh, eventually gave out when he tried to step back and the, and the leg just gave out under him. So uh, pretty gruesome uh, end to the fight, to be honest, uh, definitely hurt me because my bets were on Poirier to finish uh, McGregor after the first round. Um, in rounds two and three, and that would have been a very sizable uh, payday. But, uh, you know, obviously with him uh, being unable to continue to fight, the fight is deemed rule technical uh, is, is deemed a stoppage uh, due to a doctor in- intervention, which McGregor made very clear that he wanted uh, that to be the official ruling that it's by doctor stoppage, not because Dustin Poirier actually hurt him. Uh, He was very adamant about that uh, before and uh, after the uh, uh, official announcement came and in the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan, uh, McGregor was uh, anything uh, but conciliatory in defeat. But, um, yeah, a very strange fight because you saw uh, McGregor try to emphasize the leg kicks and maintain range, and, and get uh, Poirier, it, it it very much looked like the first time they fought each other, and uh, you know, this goes back a number of years. I think that that first fight was back in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Feels like a lifetime ago, to be perfectly honest. But, um, yeah, Connor was very aggressive with the leg kicks, trying to maintain distance, and throw Poirier off his game, but realistically Poirier wasn't having anything of it he was kind of stalking Connor down and got Connor in a bad spot up against the cage and Connor goes for the guillotine and then doubles down on it by trying to do the jumping guillotine which is like 90 I'd say 98 like 95 to 98 percent of the time a terrible decision it, it it's so slim the odds of success getting that j- jumping guillotine to work on a guy, especially uh, with the jiu-jitsu background of Poirier, that you you hardly ever get that sub. You burn out your arms and you put yourself in a bad spot because when you do the jumping guillotine, you're automatically going to the ground with the other guy on top of you. So it, it's just not a good look and it's a bad visual for the judges. So of course. Poirier wrestles McGregor, beats him up on the ground, and puts him in a very bad spot, to be honest. Conor was kind of fortunate that he actually got back up uh, in in that round, but, you know, that was after he had already, uh, uh, by Poirier's account, that was after he had hurt himself with that leg kick. So you have to wonder now, did Conor realize that he didn't have his legs under him and that's why he needed to go. He got desperate and went for that jumping guillotine because he knew he couldn't stand and bang with Poirier that much longer because his foot was already bothering him. You, you, you got to ask the question. Looking at the fight again, it, it's certainly possible that McGregor knew he was hurt and went for the desperation play because Connor has to know that that was such a slim chance of success. Like, why would you even go for that play unless you were truly desperate? And I think that might have been the case. Like McGregor might have already known he was in bad shape in that fight and went for the choke knowing that that might have been his best chance of actually getting the W. Uh, you know, it's it's very interesting how that fight ended up playing out because everyone looking at that uh, broadcast, you know, I know the casual fans may have thought like, oh, Conor had him in trouble with the guillotine. It, it was not close that guillotine was not close to being cinched in and it was just a wasted effort. So uh, interesting to see how uh, that went. Uh, you know, already uh, Dana White is saying that there's going to be a four fight. Uh, you know, this was supposed to be the blow off trilogy after McGregor won in 2014. They had this rematch uh, in January this year, which uh, saw uh, Poirier uh, put Connor's lights out and you know, led to Cotter demanding this rematch, this rubber match. And, uh, you know, obviously having had the finish, but you don't know the structural integrity of McGregor's leg right now. It's too early to tell. It's going to be a, a, a lengthy recovery. Uh, Poirier may be fighting for the belt uh, before Cotter is back healthy. So to me, uh, Poirier should be looking ahead to seeing if he could get a matchup against Charles Oliveira, who is now... Uh, the head of the, you know, at the light heavyweight, I mean, uh, lightweight division, I should say, Uh, now that Khabib is retired, you know, Oliveira's got the belt. You know, I, I think it, it it only makes sense. Like, uh, you know, Poirier's the number one contender. Like, Poirier's, Poirier's got to fight Oliveira. It, I mean, it really just comes down to that. Uh, you know, uh, Poirier has been looking for that uh, title shot again after he lost to Khabib. I mean, everyone loses to, to Khabib. Poirier and Oliveira has to be the next matchup. I, I I just don't see what else is there for Poirier to do. He's got the he got the money fight with McGregor and he won it. Time to go for the belt again. I mean, it, it's really that simple. Now from the Oliveira perspective, he wasn't exactly thrilled because he didn't have that impressive of, of a comeback. Well, I mean, it was a comeback victory, but it wasn't he didn't win the belt in dominating fashion over Michael Chandler. Even though he won it by KO, like, Chandler dominated that first round. So, technically from the Oliveira camp, a fight with Conor not only is a massive payday, but if you can get Conor to the ground and submit him, that cements you as the champ. That would have been the money fight. Now you're in a position where you're going to have to defend the belt against Poirier. It's not going to be nearly as lucrative as a matchup against Conor would have been. And you know, standing toe to toe, like striking game, definitely favors Poirier and Ground game. Yes, it favors Oliveira, but it's not the drastic disadvantage that it would have been uh, if it had been Connor instead. Like that's a far riskier uh, matchup with Poirier is a far riskier proposition for Oliveira than. Uh, uh, then it it would have been uh, with it being Conor McGregor and far and less money involved. It, it's like this, this was just not a good night for uh, it was not a good night last night for Charles Oliveira because now his next matchup is harder and he's going to make less money out of it for defending the belt. So, I mean that's really where things stand. And yes, Dana can say all he wants about another matchup between Connor and Poirier, but Poirier. You know, timetable wise, he's going to fight for the belt before he fights Connor again. If he fights Connor again, because, you know, you never know. Connor could just say he's had enough, but knowing Connor, he's not going to go out on that. He's going to fight uh, Poirier again, even if it is illogical. All right. So, with that out of the way, let's talk about uh, the Euro final here between England and Italy. Uh, obviously, England. Uh, Gets the home field advantage with everything being at Wembley. Uh, You know, pretty much every match they've had has been at Wembley. Um, You know, because of the COVID protocols, you know, it just worked out that way. But they're slight favorites. Uh, Within the distance, uh, they are plus 150 favorites. Uh, Italy is uh, plus... 230, and a draw within the 90 minutes is uh, uh, plus 190. Now, the over-under uh, in terms of the betting lines have been has been set at one and a half. Uh, the over is minus 170, the under is plus 140. I could see it going either way, to be honest. Um, this is a very tricky matchup because I could see both of these teams locking it down at 1-0 and just playing for that one nil victory. Obviously, if it's Italy, they're, they're going to do that. Cause that's the approach that they took with Spain. They get, they got the lead. Uh, and try to, uh, go at it, uh, from that perspective against Spain. Now Spain did manage to get the equalizer in the second half, uh, late in the second half, but you know, Italy did get uh, get the victory on PKs, but I think if Italy gets ahead again, they're going to go right back to that same strategy of just turtling up and forcing the action uh, to come to them. So to me, you know, I just look at this matchup and saying, you know, first mover is more than likely going to win this. Uh, England has yet to concede, which is always a sign of foreboding measure that something's going to happen to England. Um, You know, but so far in this Euro competition, England has avoided the major mistake that we've seen them run into in past tournaments where someone overcommits on a ball uh, that they shouldn't uh, have. They, they they make the turnover that they shouldn't make or they just play way too tight. Uh, You know, this England group has taken their chances. They've been aggressive. You know, I'm very curious about the lineups because I keep hearing rumors that Kieran Trippier's gonna be starting today. And to me, the only way Trippier can start today is if uh Trippier is starting over Luke Shaw because I can't see Kyle Walker with as well as Walker's played in the tournament uh this year, that Walker is gonna be on the bench for the final. So I'm very curious to see how England's setting up for this final because Realistically, uh, you know, there there are different ways both teams can go. But I think a set lineup with England is more than enough to beat Italy. In- England has the deepest roster. The biggest thing that's been an Achilles heel for England is just the nerves on the international stage and making, uh, making mistakes. But if we're talking about just pure talent-wise, England is the superior squad even against Italy and what we saw against Italy is that without Spinazzola in the back line, you can put a lot of pressure on England I mean on Italy uh by uh, moving your forwards up and that's what Spain did they they had a lot of pressure on crosses against Italy that Italy was not really that adept at the defending they didn't have the team speed to measure up against Spain, like the fact that Italy got the first goal was very fortunate, in my opinion, because Spain had them on the back heel for most of the game. And when, even when Spain was chasing, they put Italy in a number of bad spots. So to me, this really just kind of comes down to if, uh, Saka is getting the start with Sterling. Can those two put enough pressure on Chiellini uh, and Bonucci on the back line. If you can put enough pressure on Italy's back line to commit fouls and allow for uh, some free kicks to uh, be in place for the danger areas, that way you're going to be able to unlock Mason Mount and Harry Kane because they're going to be able to create enough pressure off of the set pieces that so, uh, somebody's attacking, guy, uh, attacking uh, players, e- either... Uh, from the center back's position, or even uh, doing a set play and and, uh, and allowing some of the speedsters to get behind Italy, I think it's going to unlock a number of areas. So to me, there are far more ways for England to attack Italy to open up this game than it is going to be for Italy to break down England. For Italy to kind of get, uh, get it uh, get into England, they've got to be able to use uh, uh, Lorenzo Insigne to. Uh, somehow get behind a Maguire or Stones and draw enough fouls, get them on yellow cards, make them far more passive. You got to get Calvin Phillips in in, in trouble uh, with the ref by booking him. Because if those guys can have free reign over the midfield, I just don't see where Italy is going to be able to have the possession, let alone put up enough pressure to really get England in a bad spot to start conceding a goal or two i i you know if I, if italy scores i think it's more than likely it's because of uh, they they cause one chance and draw pk and you know most likely the, the guy who be taking a pk for uh, italy's is Jorginho and and score a goal that way to me that is how they're going to score against england they need to have a moment where they force something against england because I don't think you're necessarily beating Pickford from range on a free kick. Uh, you know, it's possible that a senior can do it, but I just don't see it. Uh, and yes, uh, Barella could take some spot kicks as well, but again, I don't. I don't really see Italy doing it from uh, from a set play against England. I think England's got the size. I, I just don't necessarily see where. Italy scores in this matchup unless it's from a complete defensive breakdown uh, that leads to just a one-on-one scenario gets uh, against Pickford in net or it's a PK given and they score that way. To me, that's the win condition for Italy. It's like you got to force England into a bad spot and get your goal that way and then turtle up or you play for a nil-nil draw and, 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 and get through extra time as well and get this into PKs. Like, to me, that's Italy's win condition. For England, if you play your game and you use the, the vast bench you have and just keep pressing on Italy, force them to keep making mistakes, yeah, just put enough pressure on them, eventually they're going to crack. Uh, to me, this is a very much a by-the-numbers kind of game for England. Play your game. You're going to win this eventually don't let the nerves of being at home and being the favorite, even as slight as it is in the pressure of the moment, get to you. Uh, you know, it, it can't just be Harry Kane. Uh, everyone look at Harry to see what he's going to do with the ball. I think if you swing it around and England's done a very good job of this, uh, moving the ball around, I, I think the, between Saka and Sterling, you know, they've actually developed a little bit more chemistry than I thought they would have. Uh, which is why we haven't seen that much of uh, uh, we have we haven't seen that much of Jack Grealish unless it's in that uh, backup role in the second half where Saka runs out, birds him up in the first half, and then you bring in uh, Grealish as the late game hammer to really put the defense on, on on the back foot and draw fouls against a tired defender, which Grealish is great at doing. He draws a ton of contact. Uh, with the style of play he has, so to me, this leans very much towards a England one nil victory, and we'll see how the game plays out. So, for my DraftKings lineups, I'm I'm definitely gonna be having a lot of exposure to England pieces, uh, you know, whether it be Mason Mount, whether it be Sterling or Kane. I'm gonna be leaning a lot more towards England side of the bracket than Italy but if i'm taking italy i'm i'm definitely uh, looking at Insignia and and as as possibility and uh, uh, marco verratti certainly is in play for me uh but if i'm playing italy uh in the win scenario for italy then uh to me donnarumma uh Dona Ramura, uh has to be in there because in the lineup because i, I can't see italy winning a game where they have to score multiple times. Uh, you know, at best they can win a one-one game again, like they did against Spain in PKs. I can't see Italy scoring two goals. To me, the, like the way England has played this year, it, uh, I mean, in this tournament, it, it'd be the most England thing ever for them to not give up a goal this entire tournament, and then give up, the, and then give up the goal uh, in, 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 uh, in the final. I in multiple goals in the final. I just you know it's just a very um it's a very pessimistic way of looking at it but to me uh, I I said this before the game uh, for uh England and I, I should say this uh, they they did uh, uh they did give up the first goal to uh, uh in Denmark so they did give up one goal in the tournament thus far uh Denmark did score in the first half but they hadn't given up a goal uh heading into uh, the semifinal uh, before uh, Damsgaard scored, and the goal that they gave up was a screamer of a shot by Damsgaard. That was a hell of a goal. Well, again, Senior I- has that in him, but man, that's a high degree of difficulty kind of shot. You know, it's it's not it's not something that you're necessarily going to pencil in for a team. So. Uh, to me, I think Italy's got their hands full uh, being able to generate the offense necessary. To me, the safer play is England, and I think the under is more than likely gonna hold here. I think the under one and a half makes sense in my opinion. Uh, I don't see a ton of goals coming out of this game, so I'm gonna have a double time figuring out what defensive pieces I want from England to see who's gonna score uh, more points because I I think this is gonna be a, kind of a razor thin. Um, slate from a DFS perspective for, uh, for a final where you're not going to have a number of goals, so technically it could put both goalkeepers in play between Pickford and uh, Donnarumma because if they have if if you got a number of shots and they make saves, they may outscore most of the attacking options because the attacking options could get subbed off in the second half. So that's also something you have to kind of bear in mind um, when playing on uh, DFS slates. So. Uh, yeah, not necessarily the easiest of slates, but, you know, looking forward to the challenge. Um, but like I said, I expect this to be an England 1-0 victory. Uh, you know, I'll play for other scenarios with some of my lineups and tinker with it, but I think England actually, I think it, it actually does come home today, shockingly enough. Uh, I did not see myself saying this heading into the tournament because knowing England's backstory, you know when to expect uh, uh, an epic flame out, but uh, they've played consistently well enough, and I, I don't necessarily see that changing today. So uh, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, you know, uh, I will uh, uh, get these lineups together. But yeah, I, I think in terms of plays today, uh, you know, keep it very simple. Uh, I think it's you're going to look at trying to get a combination of Mason Mount, Insignia, and... Kane in there, and then, uh you know, one of the goalkeepers at least, and then try to get a cheaper defensive option, whether it's Chiellini or Stones, uh, maybe a McGuire. Like, I think you're you're going to have to play to the win scenario of the team that you're backing and kind of build out your roster that way. But to me, that seems to be the most logical way of approaching it. So, that's all I got folks, but hopefully we get a great final at least entertaining wise. Uh, and we'll go from there, but, uh, have a good day and enjoy the game. Thanks for listening to the fantasy throwdown podcast. Be sure to like, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google podcasts, and all other major outlets.